Hello, everyone, and welcome to A Conversation in Veterinary Pathology, the ACVP podcast, brought to you by the American College of Veterinary Pathologists. The purpose of this podcast is to bring the veterinary pathology community together to bolster our connections and spread knowledge. Veterinary pathologists are out there changing the world. So welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Hannah Atkins, and this is Dr. Carolyn Labriola. Welcome. This episode's guest is Dr. Craig Miller of the ACVP Advocacy and Policy Committee, also known as the APC. Join us as we discuss how the APC works with the AVMA and other veterinary professional associations to advocate for our profession. In addition, hear more about the APC's Errors in Publication Portal, a new initiative to create a database for determining the extent of pathology errors in the scientific literature, with the intent to eventually develop standards and procedures to improve the accuracy of published pathology data. Now let's get to the conversation. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for being here. We are really, really enthusiastic about a project that the Advocacy and Policy Committee has begun. Could you tell us all about the Errors in Publication Portal? I'd be happy to. So a few years back, ACVP leadership identified that errors and false claims in um, pathology data were being becoming increasingly common in scientific publications and that these usually resulted from the lack of having either a pathologist as a co-author on the manuscript or as part of the review process. And so we were tasked, the Advocacy and Policy Committee, with trying to develop a strategy on how to address this issue. And so we began to think about how we might do that, and it became increasingly obvious that we needed some data to really back up why this is a problem or to really document that this is a problem so that if we ever needed to talk with the journals, talk, you know, ad- address this problem from that standpoint, that we would have something to, to back up our, our claim. What we did at the Advocacy and Policy Committee is we developed this, um, an errors in publication web submission portal so that when readers, pathologists, encounter an error in the literature, um, that they could have a place and have a platform to go to submit this query or, or at least bring it to our attention so that we can start to gain um, a scope of the problem and really identify where the problem lies, what are the main issues, and then have that data so that we can then um, back up what we, wanted, what we want to accomplish. So right now, we are in the data collection phase. We've spent the last two years developing this portal and vetting it to a point where you can, uh, working out all the bugs so that once you submit uh, a query that it goes to our survey platform and that we are able to actually and collect and analyze the data. So we've been able to collect submissions from over, well, 30 submissions at this point, um, which has given us a little bit of preliminary data and it's starting to show where exactly we're running into some of the issues. And so a lot of these stem from either normal anatomic structures that are being misidentified as um, abnormal findings or abnormal pathologic findings to, to immunohistochemistry data um, and interpreting uh, background um, staining as positive staining or in appropriate cell types and, and, and so forth. So it's really kind of um, highlighting where the needs are and um, providing us with that data that we can now start to look at what we want to do with that. 
right now you're in the data collection phase and, and it sounds like you have a have had a, quite a few submissions to the portal. Um, what are you going to do with this data once it's collected? It's a great question. So we're, we're really trying to get a little bit more data before we actually do anything actionable on this. But uh, the future goal would be then to take this data and go to the journals and, and say, look, this is, this is an issue. You know, and it's not an issue across the board. So with, our, you know, with pathology journals like VetPath or, or ToxPath, I mean, we don't really run into this problem because it's vetted by pathologists. So either on, as authors or on the review panel. Um, but with some of these other journals that don't include pathologists in the process, that's where we're finding it. And so if we had the um, ability to have data back up um, a white paper or a, a letter to the editor that would then bring this to their attention and say, you know, look, this is an issue, we can start to change that uh, mentality around this, similar to how a lot of journals require you to check a box when you submit a manuscript that says, has a statistician been consulted for this project? You know, similarly, if you're going to submit histologic images or cytology or immunohistochemical data, maybe there's a box that says, has a pathologist been consulted in this project? Do you ever foresee a future, partially due to this data, where legislature gets introduced requiring a veterinary pathologist to be involved in certain studies? So, yes, I, I do think that perhaps in certain um, scenarios, in more of a tox path setting, regulatory filing for, for new compounds, um, that this could provide a backbone to um, establish a role for a pathologist as um, a legal requirement. But for now, what we're really focused on is, is identifying the scope of the problem um, and just trying to generate that data, really find out where our needs are, where we, what we can do to advocate for pathologists and advocate for veterinary pathology in the scientific um, realm of publications. The Advocacy and Policy Committee has put together a really great FAQ page on the ACVP website that does address quite a number of these potential concerns and really answers them quite succinctly. And I am going to put in an anecdote that the day that I got the email about the portal, I submitted a paper that I just happened to be reading the day before where this paper was reporting hemorrhage in the brain that was very clearly within a blood vessel. And it was something, it was on a paper that I was looking to cite that uh, because there weren't a lot of papers on that subject. And I think that that is very, very important to be able to get that out because there are going to be people in the field of research there, looking at that, not understanding the pathology, citing it, and then looking for it in future studies. Yeah, and I think you, you touched on a great point of this idea of DIY pathology, you know, by a lot of um, researchers who, you know, maybe have um, not necessarily gone through residency or have had a scope of pathology training like a true pathologist would, but, you know, has some maybe a little experience. And so, they feel qualified to to make those diagnoses, make those claims, and publish those papers. And you know, had a, rev a pathologist been part of that review process, um, that would have been caught in the review stages of the manuscript. And so that's really what we're trying to identify. That example is is exactly what we're working towards. And um, we've had a chance to do a little bit of preliminary analysis on some of this data, and that 
right there, a normal structure with an abnormal finding, you know, being reported, that's the most common histologic finding that we're seeing. Um, and it's not like these are all done maliciously or that they are going out of their way to falsely report, but that doesn't mean that it can just slip by. These things need to be addressed and people need to be educated. You know, like you said, there's a reason that a veterinary pathologist goes through undergrad, vet school, residency, potentially other education, and a lot of us board certification. That's so that we have that knowledge to bring to the scientific community. So on the other hand, it's that a veterinary pathologist is a very valuable resource and should be involved in animal science. Agreed. Agreed. And, you know, I, and even though some of these errors may not be, you know, very serious from a standpoint of um, from reporting, but, you know, if you think about it, a lot of these papers may get cited in further studies or, or you know, from labs that build upon these studies. And so if you're building upon false information, that's that creates a problem from the get go. And so we're really trying to prevent that sort of thing from happening. And yeah, and it, and it really kind of highlights the role of the pathologist in, in, uh, in preventing that. Can anyone uh, submit uh, through the errors in publication portal, or do you have to be an ACVP member? That's a great question, and the answer is anyone can submit. So it is on the front page of the ACVP website, but it's not behind the member wall or anything. So um, anyone, residents, uh, students, um, pathologists, and scientists, anyone can submit to the portal, and we encourage everyone to because... This is how we're going to get our data. This is how we're going to to really have the yeah have the amount of information that you need to make it significant yeah and be mm -hmm. able to bring it forward. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> having having gone through submission myself, I found it very easy, very accessible, um, and I was able to put detail in a number of different boxes that really fit. So it does seem like you have taken a lot of time and built this portal to be flexible to different kinds of errors in publication. Yeah, we went through a, a pretty extensive beta testing for this just to kind of work out the bugs. And it seems like we're in a good place where we have a lot of those questions answered, but not every um, submission is the same and so there are some er, there are some opportunities in there for you to leave comments you know it doesn't always fit into a nice little checked box and so if you have any you know concerns with the manuscript that you're wanting to submit there's an error a place for you to really kind of highlight that error and, and what you really want to be the take home for that and the and the committee when we were reviewing these we we look over those and, and kind of add them to our own categories so we're kind of still developing this as we go um, and we anticipate that we will, you know, we'll be making some updates to it. But for now, it seems to be working in the sense that we're able to get some good, meaningful, quantitative data from this. And I will ask this question that is on your FAQ page. So everyone listening, please go check it out. It really is very informative. But for someone who might be hesitant to put in a submission, it's anonymous, correct? Yes, it's 100% anonymous. There is, at the end of the survey, there's an opportunity for you to leave your contact information if you'd wish to be, you know, discuss the discuss the paper a little bit more if you if you have that um, that desire or, or but it, you do have the ability to submit it anonymously, which is great and can take some pressure off, mm -hmm. but also, like you said, does give the opportunity that maybe the person who's going and reviewing doesn't have expertise in this 
particular paper and the submitter might say, wow, this needs to be reviewed. And the people on the advocacy and policy committee can then go back to them and have this conversation, which again, will just further the science. Exactly. And that's what we're trying to do this. Yeah, but this isn't meant to call anyone out and to essentially, you know, be a tattletale of a, of a sort of thing. I mean, what we're doing is trying to gather data um, and really just to demonstrate the scope of the problem. And overall, this will result in uh, increased rigor and reproducibility in the scientific community. So it, it's kind of a win-win for everyone. Absolutely. And hopefully education for those who have accidentally published an error. They can learn from it. Correct. Yeah. yeah. People might not know that a veterinary pathologist is a resource out there for them to consult. Hopefully, our hope for, them, for this would be to advocate for uh, veterinary pathologists in research and to be used in research, similar to the way statisticians are being used um, for, for to increase rigor and reproducibility. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that this could have the potential to um, increase the pathologist's role in not only regulatory, but, but just basic research projects. And because a lot of these papers that we're seeing just do not include a pathologist on that. And it's, it goes back to that kind of DIY sense of pathology and, mm-hmm. and it just doesn't really fly. Right. And going along with that is that there's always the need for more veterinary pathologists in all of the crazy different subspecialties that are within the field to be able to access those resources. And having a portal like that having a advocacy and policy committee that is active will be able to reach a broader population and hopefully bring in more veterinary pathologists to the field. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then that, and that fits within the, the, uh, the board of directors of the strategic plan to kind of increase that pipeline. And, and uh, I think it fits really well with that. Speaking about more pathologists, is the advocacy and policy committee looking for new members? Absolutely, yes. We're always looking for new members, um, and if interested, um, the, the best way to do that at, at this time is to go to your member profile on the ACB, ACBP website and update your profile. There's a there's a option at the very bottom of the page where there's volunteer opportunities, and you can select uh, the Advocacy and Policy Committee. If you love to get involved, we're really um, looking for people that are interested in this to get involved with this Errors in Publication initiative as well as other initiatives uh, within the Advocacy and Policy Committee. What skills might it be useful for someone to have who is looking to join the Advocacy and Policy Committee? Honestly, just a, a willingness to, to collaborate, work together, an interest in wanting to really advance our profession. And that's really the base um quality that we look for and for for members of this committee is 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 those that just really have a passion for veterinary pathology and for um advancing um an understanding of what we do and what our college does we spoke about legislature a little bit before can you give any examples about the advocacy and policy committee's involvement with legislature to date yeah so one of our major roles and responsibilities is to really monitor um, government and regulatory issues that come up and advocate for veterinary pathology um, and make recommendations to the board of directors on how to appropriately handle these. So an issue that I can give an example of very recently is there was a um, bill that was introduced in Wisconsin, uh, a state bill that was going to limit the usage of many terms and pathologist was one of them. And it was going to limit that word 
to only be used by a licensed physician. And so obviously this would have, you know, broad implications for veterinary pathologists who use that title in their job descriptions. Our goal or our um, charge was to really kind of help monitor this situation. And so I reached out to the Wisconsin Veterinary Medical Association and had a discussion with their executive director. Uh, we reached out to the AVMA and we work in concert with these organizations to see what we can do to help, whether that's to write a letter of support, um, you know, sign on to a letter of support, make a recommendation to the board of directors on what we should do. Um, but our, our role is to really kind of monitor those situations and, and offer support and, and, and so on. Do you work closely with the AVMA? We have worked very closely with the AVMA in, in, in the past, and we still we continue to do that. So a lot of these initiatives that come through government legis legislation, um, you know, especially if it's within the purview or within the scope of the college, we absolutely will work with the AVMA um, and other entities, other specialty entities um, throughout veterinary medicine um, to promote veterinary pathology in any way we can. That's really cool that the AVMA is able to provide resources where needed and that you are able to find within that organization ways to support the ACVP, ASVCP. I think a lot of the, um, the best part of our organization and especially our committee is our ability to really form these collaborative relationships. So we work with a lot of other um, entities, not just, you know, within veterinary medicine, but within, you know, the medical, the human medical field as well. Um, and the board of American board of pathology. I mean, we, every resource we can, um, use to leverage our platform is, is just one, another way we can further our goals. In your own career, you have also collaborated with other specialties outside of veterinary pathology in your own research from working on cats and how FIV compares to HIV and now your work at CGEN. So does that come naturally to you looking outside of our field? Absolutely. I am a strong believer in synergy and collaboration and I feel that the best way to get, get the best work done is by reaching out and finding those experts in the field that know how to do their work better than others. So for example, when developing a feline COVID model, we, you know, I don't know how to do single cell RNA sequencing and on that and in, in bioinformatics analysis. I'm a pathologist, but I'm very interested in it. And I understand the basis of it, and through collaboration with with you know bioinformaticists and and others in that field, we were able to really kind of highlight some of the more immune mechanisms and then actually take what they developed and they were able to generate with data and kind of guide them along the way to be like, well, we should look at this pathway or we should look at this pathway. And so I think broadly speaking across science, collaboration and uh, that, that synergistic effort um, really kind of makes the leaps and bounds in, in scientific advancements. And so I'm all about it. Yeah, and in furthering the profession, not just scientifically, but through the policy and through getting the word out there of who is a veterinary pathologist, what does a veterinary pathologist do, and why are they essential? Absolutely, yeah. What strategies or tips would you give someone who's looking to start a collaboration? Like, how do you find collaborators? Yeah, I've, I feel like a lot of the collaborative relationships that I've developed over the years have been either through working relationships with, with other researchers who then, you know, recommended uh, another collaborator through my mentorship, um, which I've been very fortunate to have, 
or from attending meetings and hearing, you know, an interesting talk and, and following up after the talk and saying, this is really amazing things that you're doing. Have you ever considered doing it in this model? You know, I mean, I think that's the beauty of the scientific community is there's, there's always somebody doing something different and the ability to kind of make those connections and network and, and, uh, and have those discussions um, really kind of furthers your ability to, to make some um, progress. Perhaps on the subject of connections, how did you come about joining the Advocacy and Policy Committee? Well, I was recommended by Dr. Jerry Ritchie, um, and, uh, who is actually one of my, my close friends and mentors um, through the years. And um, I was fortunate enough to be really interested in getting involved with the college. And at that time, they uh, were looking for people to join the Advocacy and Policy Committee. And uh, I've, I've really enjoyed the work that I've done ever since. When you joined the committee, Obviously, this portal is very new and wasn't in existence. What were your duties when you initially joined the Advocacy and Policy Committee? So as a committee, we, we generally respond to um, charges given to us by the board of directors. And so uh, on a rolling basis, uh, the committee chair would, would bring up legislative issues um, that would come about. And so it was our role or our responsibility to meet as a committee um, discuss how we're going to move forward. So a lot of this was, you know, roundtable discussions, um, formulation of letters and support, white papers. So a lot of my initial involvement with the committee was just those roundtable discussions, learning how to develop those papers, learning how to make recommendations to the board of directors. Which is important yeah. to be able yeah. to understand. And that sounds really great that the Advocacy and Policy Committee can bring in new members and take the time to mentor them to ha help someone understand what it is that your committee does and get them to a place where you can all work collaboratively to benefit the college. Absolutely. In fact, it is our goal to stack the committee with people in various stages of their career. So we have from people from late stage to mid stage to early stage part of their careers and and having the that involvement of you know some of our older members who have been through this who know the ropes and can actually mentor the younger members is is really crucial but in in another sense it's great to have some of those new ideas from new diplomats who come in with you know um, exciting ways to look at the world yeah everyone has a uh, value and and a opinion and experiences that will be helpful and in something like advocacy having that diverse subset of people is sounds like it would be really beneficial yeah it's it's a great mix uh, of people from different stages of their career and it really provides some interesting discussion when we get talking um, especially our new diplomats who are very enthusiastic and, and ready to change the world and, and it's it's great to, for them to bring that energy and so um, we, we really love that on the topic of mentorship, you did mention Dr. Jerry Ritchie. Uh, could you highlight a mentor or some mentors that have really been influential in you and your career? Well, yes. Um, so Dr. Ritchie is, has been um, an amazing mentor for me, um, just you know, new out of um, my PhD and a new diplomat, really kind of helping me develop who I was as a pathologist and a researcher, um, navigate uh, the NIH grant world and and uh, just really learning how to establish myself when I was a, when I was a faculty member. One of the mentors that really got me into pathology was the the late Ed Hoover um, at Colorado State. He was a, an amazing man, amazing researcher. Did so many good things for 
so many students and in, in, in pathology trainees and just to to see his passion for pathology and for research and um, and for training and mentorship it just it really inspired me to to want to to want to follow in his footsteps so that's wonderful and thank you for highlighting someone that has meant a lot to you and I, I think that probably the the students that you worked with previously when you were in academia and now the new diplomats that you're working at in the advocacy and policy committee would be thankful to you for all the knowledge that you have shared. Speaking about the future, what excites you about the future of pathology? We're on the edge of some very exciting advancements in pathology and I and I'm and I'm excited to see how they go from you know, we've heard about it for, at this current conf at the at the annual meeting, digital pathology, AI. I mean, these are some of the newest forms of technology that we're, you know, learning to deal with. And I'm really excited because I think the ACBP, the board, is is really trying to get ahead of the curve on this and really trying to highlight a strategic plan as to how we want to um, see this unfold for pathology. And not only that, but I'm really excited, uh, like I mentioned before, uh, our new diplomats coming out. I mean, I think they're very enthusiastic about wanting to get involved. They have great ideas and how to utilize technology, social media, podcasts, um, and how we can really advance people's understanding of what we do as pathologists. You mentioned what's going on at this 2023 ACVP ASVCP meeting and the digital pathology, the AI that has been presented and computational pathology with the Advocacy and Policy Committee and the legislature that you get involved in, has AI been in the discussions? Absolutely. I mean, it's still early on and we're still trying to figure out how to navigate um, the, be the best way for this. And, and it's going to be a, a continually evolving strategy on, as to how, and how we approach this, um, but it is at the forefront of what we discuss and, and uh, most certainly. Are there other ACVP committees that you collaborate with on some of these issues, some of these initiatives? Well, we definitely uh, collaborate with the Media Communications Committee, especially trying to get you know words out because we really are advocating for pathology and to try to get that out to our membership. It really helps to have that partnership with that committee as well. Um, we hope to look forward to collaborations with the Pathology Informatics Committee um, and then the Pipeline Development Task Force. Um, really, working, we're going to be working close. Every committee is going to be working close um, to try to really develop this new strategic plan and develop this path, pipeline for pathologists. What quality inspires you most in your colleagues? Well, I alluded to it a little earlier, but um, I really love the synergy that we have um, in the ACPP leadership. And not only that, but just within our college, uh, that collaborative spirit. And I've, I've made the the biggest advancements in my own career through collaborations with other with others and I feel like as a college you know we're only as good as our members and how we operate together and so if, if that collaborative spirit continues then I think we can do some great things that's wonderful and that already has been proven by the work that the advocacy and policy committee has done the work that you've done and where the college is now is there anything else about the Advocacy and Policy Committee that you would like to talk about? I mean, the Advocacy and Policy Committee is here to serve members of our college and to really highlight and, and really advance the impact of veterinary pathology in the scientific world. 
And so member involvement would be something that we would really like to see more of. Any queries that you might have that you think might be a, a potential um, regulatory or, or government issue for veterinary pathology, please submit it to info at acvp.org. Um, that gets processed through the appropriate committee and it'll come to us and we look into everything. And so um, just utilizing your committee is, is probably the, the best thing that, uh, that you could do. Do you have any advice for veterinary pathologists in a certain state about how they can be aware of their state's legislature so that they can help the advocacy and policy committee to then help the community in case something like what happened in Wisconsin comes up? Absolutely. So every state has a veterinary medical association. So I live in Oklahoma. So we have the Oklahoma Veterinary Medical Association, and they serve to be advocates for veterinarians in that state. So becoming involved um, with that with that entity in their state is how you can find the local issues that are affecting you in your state. So another collaboration. It is important to be active with your state's veterinary association even if you're not required to be licensed or necessarily do client-facing work that other veterinarians understand a bit more intimately. Yeah, I mean, it, it always helps to be in the know, right? And so just being involved with those entities that really monitor um, state legislature and, and even to the AVMA to a standpoint, I mean, monitoring things on a federal level, I mean, those are great things to just be aware of. Um, but, you know, it's, it's our job as an advocacy and policy committee to really bring those to light to our members, that especially those issues that directly affect veterinary pathologists. And I think that's a really great point because I hear from younger veterinarians all the time, why should I join AVMA? Why should I join my state veterinary medical association if I'm going to be just a veterinary pathologist and not practicing? Because um, sometimes it's hard to see that connection between general practice or between a practicing veterinarian and veterinary pathology, especially if we're in academia and don't have direct contact with the general public. And a member of the ACVP or ASVCP also. That's right. Because it really does affect your practice and your day-to-day -day job. So let's pivot and uh, go to a fun question. We always kind of like to end out the episode with, with something fun. So if you could be any animal, what animal would that be? Well, I would probably be uh, a bald eagle because it's it would be amazing to have that sort of freedom to, to be able to fly and to have that kind of eyesight because my eyes are getting bad <laughs> as I get older. <laughs> and, uh, well, just because America, so. I love it. Mm -hmm. Do you ever get to see bald eagles where you live? I know that you did a preceptorship in Oregon and that you have lived in a few different locations and I know that in Washington you can see bald eagles but what about around you? So I'm a remote pathologist. Um, I work for CGEN. Uh, we do antibody drug conjugates and it's, it's pretty exciting work. Uh, I really enjoy the work that we do. Um, it's not only impactful but it really is fulfilling uh, to be able to to be able to work on these treatments that are um, helping a lot of human patients. Oh, in Oklahoma, we have a lot of bald eagles, actually. Um, yeah, so when we're out at the lake, there's there's a, a nest or a, um, of uh, bald eagles. They uh, every year they'll have um, they'll have chicks, and they and it's fun to watch them train uh, the juveniles how to catch fish in the lake. It's pretty cool. That's rad. That's really neat. When you're out at the lake, what activities are you doing? Well, it's Oklahoma, so it's hot, so we're mostly swimming. 
<laughs> trying to trying to stay cool. <laughs> yeah. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, and like the bald eagle, like your research and your work, and like the idea of the advocacy and policy committee, you really get this bird's eye view, and that seems to be something that's a theme throughout your life. And so I think that being a bald eagle really is fitting. That's an amazing analogy. I love it. (laughs) We're really grateful that you came and sat down with us, that you took time out of this very busy meeting, that I'm sure that, you know, your involvement with the board, your need to be very acutely aware of policy changes and what the members of ACVP see as a future. It's just great that that you came in and told us about your experiences. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. We've really struggled to get the word out for this uh, errors in publication web portal. Every time we do a push, we get submissions and it's great, um, but it seems to fall off people's radar. So any opportunity that we can have to really kind of plug plug the portal, remind people that it's there, and please, please use it. Um, please get involved in a, any committee in ACVP, and uh, yeah, appreciate the time. And if anyone has any questions, again, please refer to the FAQ, or you can email info at acvp.org. And with that, you have been listening to A Conversation in Veterinary Pathology, the ACVP podcast. Listeners, you can find information on the Errors in Publication portal and a link to the portal itself at acvp.org backslash page backslash errors in publication. A huge thank you to Dr. Craig Miller for sitting down with us at the 2023 ACVP ASVCP annual meeting in Chicago, Illinois. We enjoyed learning more about him and his work with the APC. As always, the contents of this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of the American College of Veterinary Pathologists or the associated companies, institutions of those involved. This audio is property of the American College of Veterinary Pathologists. We appreciate you listening and we look forward to our conversation.